When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today we're reading some scripture from Isaiah and learning a little bit about the life of Absalom Jones, a fascinating saint in the Episcopal Church and maybe the greatest of all time that we have thus far. But that includes you, too, and me. I'm glad you're here. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, To display his glory, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today the church remembers probably the Episcopal Church's greatest saint, if we were to rank them in order of significance and importance. Um, Although all saints are wonderful in God's sight, including you and me as well. But uh, today we remember Absalom Jones. Absalom Jones, you've probably seen his picture if you've been on Episcopal social media during February, which is Black History Month. And Absalom Jones plays a pivotal role in our church's relationship um, to the issues of slavery in America and in the liberation of that awful institution. Absalom Jones was born into slavery. He was uh, enslaved and kidnapped, which is what slavery technically is as a crime, uh, to Abraham Wincoop, a wealthy Anglican planter in 1746 in Delaware. So here we have an Anglican who eventually became Episcopalian, as all Anglicans did in America, uh, who uh, was involved in the just awful practice of slavery. Absalom Jones was working in the fields when Abraham recognized that he was an intelligent child and ordered that he be trained to work in the house. Absalom eagerly accepted instruction in reading He also saved money. He was given and bought books, among them a primer, a spelling book, and a Bible. Abram Wincope died in 1753, and by 1755, his younger son, Benjamin, had inherited the plantation. When Absalom was 16, Benjamin Wincope sold the plantation, and Absalom's mother, sister, and five brothers. This was one of the worst horrors of slavery was for families to be sold partially, um, never together, and split forever 
to the four winds and never to be seen again for many of um, many of these families and this is the the cruel the cruelest part of slavery from what I've read in the experience of those who, who experienced it Wincope bought Absalom brought him to Philadelphia remember Philadelphia like all of the northern colonies were still allowed slavery um, in 17. 17- 55 and onward, um, slavery is only outlawed in the early 1800s, I think in the, 19, in the 1820s in New York and other states like that. So, you know, the, the Yankees, the Northerners, I kind of consider myself a Yankee at one time. Uh, we don't have a lot of moral ground to stand on when it comes to slavery. Uh, we just stopped doing it a little bit before um, the Southern states were forced to stop. Um, slavery. So uh, again, this was an American problem, not a Southern problem uh, exclusively. There in Philadelphia, where he's enslaved, um, Absalom opened a um, a Wincope, his new owner and kidnapper, opened a store and joined St. Peter's Church in Philadelphia. St. Peter's Church is in the old part of Philadelphia in the cobblestone streets. When I was a young man, I climbed into the pulpit there. I wasn't Episcopalian, but I loved that building. I would go down to Philadelphia um, a lot from my little Pennsylvanian village, and I would go look at that church. And I, I didn't even know what the Episcopal Church was, but I would climb into that pulpit there and because uh, they let you back then. And, uh, and wander around that church and churchyard and cemetery. And lo and behold, last year, my dear friend Clark French, uh, who is Canadian by birth, he is now the um, priest in charge there in uh, Philadelphia, St. Peter's, Philadelphia. Pretty cool stuff. Um, still an operation church that's been there forever. In Philadelphia, Benjamin Wycoop permitted Absalom to attend a night school for black people operated by the Quakers. Pennsylvania is a Quaker colony predominantly, and their educational practices are open to everybody. Um, So the Quaker abolitionist teacher, Anthony Besnett, um, really wanted to educate black people in Philadelphia, whether they were enslaved or free. Um, He felt like that was the ticket to their ultimate liberation even though they couldn't change the laws at the time um, because they were just one, one very small group of abolitionists there. At 20 years of age, with permission of their masters, Absalom married Mary Thomas, who was enslaved to Sarah King, who also worshiped at St. Peter's. The Reverend Jacob Duche performed the wedding at Christ Church. Christ Church is right down the street from St. Peter's and is where William White, our first uh, bishop of the Episcopal Church, really not our technical first bishop, but our first real presiding bishop, was the rector there for like 65 years. He was the chaplain of the Continental Congress that met there. Um, so this is right in the sort of founding of our nation places that all this happens. Um, so they would marry enslaved people in the church um, as long as they didn't attend the church. Um, or if they did, they had to sit in a very separate section of the church. We really can't fathom that kind of discrimination today, 
Um, we, we should always be cognitive of where people sit. Um, there's been a couple times at different ordination services or church services when serving with black colleagues that I'll look over and notice that like there's three white people sitting on one bench on one side of the nave and I look over and there's one black clergy person sitting by themselves on the other bench and I just think we, we got to like plan this a little better <laughs> so that we don't um, show visually um, or by where we sit or stand any kind of discrimination whatsoever because that was how it was practiced in those days. They were married in the church. They, um, they, they bought and they, they saved up their money uh, to um, purchase Mary's freedom and Quakers in Philadelphia raised most of this money. Absalom and Mary worked very hard to repay the money borrowed to buy her freedom. They saved enough to purchase property and buy Absalom's freedom. You could do that back in the day. If you earned enough money, you could buy yourself out of slavery or a loved one. And black people all across the country that were free would work uh, round the clock to earn enough pennies because they didn't earn very much to, to do this. This is another part of slavery. What's that? Absolutely. Yeah, it was very hard for enslaved people to even have their own personal money. Thank you, Dale. Um, so here we are with this young couple. They've bought their freedom and a little bit of land. And, um, but um, they had the money, but they haven't bought Absalom's freedom yet. Wincope refused to allow him to buy it, his freedom. Um, Absalom persisted because as long as he was enslaved, Wincope, as Dale said, could take that money and property away. Finally, in 1784, Benjamin Wycoop freed Absalom by granting him a manumission. Absalom continued to work in Wincope's store as a paid employee. Uh, the, the times were changing in the late 1700s. Attitudes towards enslavement in Pennsylvania were getting to become more negative. So maybe that's why he did it. Hard to know. Absalom left St. Peter's Church and began worshiping at St. George's Methodist Episcopal Church. Uh, the Methodists were far more open to black people worshiping together with white people. Anglicans and Episcopalians at that time were not. Here he met Richard Allen, who had been engaged to preach at St. George's, and the two became lifelong friends. Together in 1787, they founded the Free African Society, a mutual aid benevolent organization that was the first of its kind organized by and for black people. Members of the society paid monthly dues for the benefit of those in need. At St. George's, Absalom and Richard served as lay ministers for the black membership. Um, the active evangelism of Jones and Allen significantly increased black membership at St. George's. The black members worked hard to raise money to build an upstairs gallery intended to enlarge the church. So they're raising money for this sort of balcony, um, and they're sitting down in the regular parts of the church. The black people are, at this point, in the Methodist church. They, the black people work hard to raise the money for the gallery to have more seating, and the church leadership, the white church leadership, says that that gallery is going to be where the black people sit. 
Um, and they didn't tell them until they had already finished it. So again, a decision made by a board of the church um, had disastrous result, results. During that Sunday service, a dispute arose uh, amongst the, in the gallery with the black members who were being shuttled up there to, to sit far apart from the whites. Um, the ushers attempted to physically remove them um, and accosted Absalom Jones physically. Most of the black members present indignantly walked out of St. George's Methodist Church. Um, the Free African Society up until that point had never held any religious services. They were a Christian group, but they weren't a church. They didn't try to replace the church, but now that they were kicked out, um, they started their own church. Um, they, they started um, communicating with other black groups in the city of Philadelphia. In 1792, the society began to build the African Church of Philadelphia. The church membership took a denominational vote and decided to affiliate with the Episcopal Church, which is really, really cool. The fact that the Episcopal Church at that time was willing to say, we want to have a black church in our, in our diocese, in our communion. We want that. Uh, that would be a wonderful thing. The church membership took a denominational vote, became Episcopalian. Richard Allen withdrew. He was still a Methodist. He um, wanted to stay Methodist. And so he went to um, start the African Methodist Episcopal Church, which is still a great church today um, in, in, in here in Texas and around the country. Um, so Richard Allen went that way. Absalom Jones uh, came back to the Anglican Episcopal Church at that time. Um, the African Church was dedicated on July 17, 1794, and the rector of St. Paul's Church, Samuel McGraw, uh, preached a dedicatory address. Dr. McGraw was assisted at the service by Reverend James Abercrombie, the assistant at Christ Church. Soon thereafter, the congregation applied for membership in the Episcopal Diocese of Pennsylvania on the following conditions, that they should be received as an organized body, not be dissolved or anything like that, they would have control over their local affairs, and that Absalom Jones would be a licensed lay reader in the church and eventually ordained as a priest. In October 1794, it was admitted as the African Episcopal Church of St. Thomas. The church was incorporated under laws of Commonwealth of Pennsylvania in 1796. Bishop William White, who I mentioned earlier, ordained Jones as a deacon in 1795 and in 1802 as a priest. Um, you can go to that church today, the African Church of St. Thomas, and uh, worship there and see the life of Absalom Jones uh, lived out with the faithful that still attend. Jones was an earnest preacher. He denounced slavery and warned the oppressors to clean their hands of slaves. To him, God was the father who always acted on behalf of the oppressed and the distressed. But it was his constant visiting and mild manner that made him beloved by his congregation and by the community of St. Thomas. They, were, they had 500 members in that first year of their existence. They formed a day school there and um, worked really hard to end slavery in the American South. And 
he became he became known as the black bishop of the Episcopal Church, even though he was never a bishop. He functioned as a regional leader for black Episcopalians um, and for whites as well. Um, he is not, it's too easy to put black leaders sort of as leaders of fellow black people, but ultimately they were leading white people as they still do today, as we follow their example. He died on this day in 1818. So I know it's kind of a long explanation of his life, but I think Episcopalians uh, really need to know who this person was, um, how, he, how he and his wife um, led the church through a really difficult time. The church has always been in a perilous time. There has never been an easy time for any church. Um, the issues that they were facing in their day uh, were maybe very different than the ones we face as a church, but it's always been a struggle like this, and God's grace has always been enough to get through any trial, any struggle, any um, despair that we might have over the future. Um, we, are, we trust God and God's faithfulness. Set us free, Heavenly Father, from every bond of prejudice and fear, that honoring the steadfast courage of your servant, Absalom Jones, we may show forth in our lives the reconciling love and true freedom of the children of God, which you have given us in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.